Cognitive Rampage Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lowry. As usual, we are streaming live for the second time. So bear with us if uh, there's some freeze framing. We're trying to adjust the uh, frames per second. It's quite the task learning all of this stuff. And we'll get it right eventually to where everything's streaming nice and beautifully. We are able to check out the screen as you see my eyes darting to the right. Just to see if the frames per second, which I forgot to switch before the show. But anyway, welcome to the podcast. Sitting in the cave uh, live with me uh, again is Big Mike the Messenger. Bam. Live on camera now to the world. Hello, everybody. <clears throat> Once again, man, it is a pleasure to be here. And I'm pretty sure we're going to have some quite interesting conversation today. Who fucking knows, man? That's why I put it on the uh, register on live. Who knows what we're going to talk about? I'm looking at the uh, YouTube now on the stream in front of me. So those of you that are watching the um, computer that's in front of me here, I'm watching the YouTube stream. So if you find us on the YouTube stream and you chat or bring anything, uh, you want to join us or say something, uh, I am modern monitoring that. Be nice. I know Danny, if you're out there, he'll probably join the thing and just say something ugly. Just does it. That's what he does. He's my friend and my manager, and he's probably the most negative verbal person in my life. Keeps me fighting, though. He knows. And he's like the guy in your corner, right, that like says this shit sometimes. <clears throat> he means well. I think that's why I'm okay. Personally. I don't know. But it was... Uh, you know, I think like I was saying before, I think what I might do is we start the podcast where I may just go live like this and intro and talk to people and then just have the guests walk in and just to where it's just like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, we're live. Yeah, come on in. Have a seat. You know, <laughs> walk down. We're doing the damn thing. I think that's what I was going to do. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Play around with it every time. So you know, sometimes sometimes it'll work. And sometimes it's just just wanted to be random. So. Yeah, you do. If they're supposed to be here on time and they don't show up on time, then you just start without them. Yeah, I like come in. You can be. That's the hard part, too. When you do decide to stream live, I guess when we stream live, though, we never really say like a time. You know what I mean? Like starting. It's just tune in if you want to, you know, as it's going. But um, yeah, we got a decent stream health going, but uh, it's still trying to pull in front of me. But I like the kind of casual because a lot of times, right, when people come over to do a podcast and they come to the cave. We end up chatting like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depends on when my ADHDs sits down after I'm done pacing around, getting all ritualistic with it. Right. Uh, when I finally sit down, we end up talking, you know, 10, 15 minutes before the podcast, you know, mm -hmm. about good shit. And I'm, you know, I'm known to be out there kind of like, don't say anything, you know, don't talk about anything. And I even screw that up. We're like, what happened today? <laughs> yeah. I said, man, I got some. He said, don't talk to me for the next 15 minutes. Let me go out here and do what I do. When I come back in, we'll get it started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's tough, man. Cause, but when we sit down, I think that's what, why I think I may switch to where we're sitting in, down. And I'm just, you know, doing the intro, doing hellos, you know, because I run my mouth a while. And then just walk in, you know. And then it's just, hey, man. Then you can sit down. We can just start talking. You yeah. know, I like that. I think it's, you know, there's a real energy, though, that does get developed, you know, in a talk. You know, when we're sitting here doing a podcast eye to eye from each other, you know, looking at each other, a real vibe share, you know, energy shares between the two and anything can break that, you know, from dogs barking to phones going off and or even just, you know, prior to starting this podcast, you know, when we're clicking on the buttons. All right, let's get ready. And the awkward kind of like, all right, here we are. Welcome <laughs> to trying to sound natural as fuck. 
right? And and you don't. And so that's why that intro, I think, is a way to try to keep it more authentic to where they're just coming in the door on the podcast. Good to see. You. I've never met you before. You know, I've met you before. You know, and sitting down like Dr. Bobby Hoffman's coming by uh, Monday. This dude's badass. He's a professor at UCF mm-hmm. and um, wrote a bunch of books on motivation and drive. Actually got textbooks on motivation and drive. But he's going to come by noon on Monday. So I'm like, you know what? I may just see if he'll just walk in. Never met the dude. You know, just sit down. Good to meet you. You know, and, and trying out raw from there. I don't know. Give it a shot. I'll try anything twice. That used to be my mantra back in the day when I was a bad guy. <laughs> I was like, I'll try anything twice. I may have done it wrong the first time. Make sure it's not a fluke. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I always referenced it to be some sexual thing back then when I was that guy. Yeah, I'll try anything twice. May have done it wrong the first time. It's terrible, yeah. terrible. I don't know. You can go still apply that mantra maybe in life, right? It doesn't have to be sexual. You can be like, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, there's a lot of things you don't, you can apply to life like that. You know, the first thing about it, the first time for those for those who have tried to speak, the first time they got in front of a stage, or whether you singing or being a poet or whatever your entertainment purpose or whatever your service is, um, every time you do it the first time, you're never quite comfortable with it the first time, but. You know, quarterbacks go through the same thing. The first pass they throw is a, it's a duck. Well, let me try this again, and they'll throw it again. Oh, that was a little better. Let me give it a shot another, again. Then by the time they start hitting their marks, oh, I got this. Yeah, I like this. Let's keep going. Yeah, you and I talk a lot about speaking in public, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's a huge fear for a lot of people about doing that. Right. And even for me, like, I can't tell you that if I'm ever speaking on any level, big or small, that the heart rate's not elevated, that you're not ready to go. But I almost thrive off of it, right? Like, I almost feed off of that live anxiety, right? It's like those butterflies are giving me some energy, right? you know? And so people do have a lot of fear that of, of speaking in public, you know, like you're talking about for the first time and trying to do it. Yeah. And I guess how there was a question behind that is, you know, we started your podcast and mm-hmm. you've done, what, two episodes now? Two. Yeah, too, and maybe another one uh, soon. But you know, doing the B. Barry podcast, I would ask you: Is there a difference you think between walking on stage and physically in front of a crowd, or you know, this virtually, you know, sitting live in a camera or doing a podcast? Is this a real big difference? For one, when you're well, I'm used to it, so I'm used to people. I'm used to interacting with a lot of people. So when I'm when I'm speaking, it's not about me. So I don't ever, it doesn't matter what I wear. It doesn't matter what's the environment. It's not about me. It's always about getting the message out to the crowd. So I can see, so when I see who I'm serving, it makes it easier because I already know how they respond and I can read the body language. I can feel the energy shift. I can see if people start to get on their phone. I can see all these things Versus when you're coming in and do a podcast, you're listening to yourself and you hear yourself and you can't really move around. Um, you know, you can't interact with the crowd or the audience and you can't really get a lot of body language or feedback. Or, you know, when you when you look at somebody or you um, and you start hitting some areas where you can start to see how they tear up, you know, it gets to a point where they start where you can kind of you can just keep feeding it because, you know, that's what they need versus doing a podcast. It's kind of, you know, just in a room looking and talking to people and or just talking to whoever you you whoever's in the room and you just kind of start looking around like, uh, I don't know how this is going because I'm just having the conversation. So one person can't really be the person. Uh, who this message is getting to? So um, it's, it's it's a real difference. It's like, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's pretty much like being blind and deaf and serving at a restaurant, <laughs> where you can't really see you can't really see who you're serving. You don't know how much tip you got, and and so forth. So it, it's it's real different. Plus, I mean, every time you do something for the first time, you know, I'm just starting the whole podcast deal. 
So since I'm just now starting a podcast deal, it's definitely different because it's something new. There's a format that I'm not used to. And when I'm speaking, I already have my format. Like I already know, I already know, uh, I already have a plan of attack. And when you start a podcast, it's something new. So you don't ever really understand how the process works. Um, this is my first, like this, this, I'm just now hosting podcasts. So it's different, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's definitely a difference between the two, but I'm sure I'll get, I'll get familiar and get comfortable with it. And it'll be just like how I was with speaking. Yeah. It's, it was different for me, man. I, I wasn't even too long ago. I mean, where I talked about it on the podcast where I felt like, uh, I was rediscovering a whole new me. It was like being almost reborn again, right? Mm-hmm. When I look back at like 2013, sometime around May, when I cut on the first time, right? When I put on the camera down in, I was living in Marco Island, cut on the camera within my office, you know, where me and my mentor, Leo, uh, where he and I practiced. And it was just streaming from a laptop from a distance, you know. I had a shaved head at the time. I was had the other 45 pounds I was carrying around. Tweed jackets, dressed up nice though too on some, you know. And it was this guy that was like, welcome to the cognitive rampage. I'm your, this fake motherfucker, but I wasn't trying to be right. I was trying to be me, but it came out like plastic. And I remember watching it going, fuck, you know, and it's taken me years, you know, to be able to sit in front of, like you said, and you see me, I'm animated, right? I'm moving all the time. That's how I talk too. And to sit still, you know, and go express myself to a certain extent you know without needing the energy and and being authentic without the fear i think has been a journey it's been a true butterfly effect for me it's been this evolution for me man it really it's difficult i'm sure man i see i couldn't imagine <laughs> oh you know i'm a conversationalist anyway so yeah, yeah, you know yeah. normally if i'm on the phone and i'm moving around i got other things i can focus on other than just being in a room, knowing that there's a microphone in front of me, I got a, I got a, I, somebody's recording me on video and audio. It's just different. So I mean, I'm I'm one of those I feed off energy. So you know, a lot of times when you feed off energy and you touching people and you, it's it's just different. So, but there's there's a there's a factor to where you know, come like I'm being uncomfortable should bring about growth anyway. So you know, I feel like it's an opportunity for me to grow. Mm-hmm. This is something that I'm not used to. And who am I to tell somebody, if you don't like what you're doing, then just change. <laughs> and then here I am. Nope. I'm not changing. I'm not doing any podcasts. I'm just going to talk. I'm just going to do what I normally do. Get in front of crowds and rock the show. I don't want to get in front of, but you know, everybody can't find me. And I can't just go to New Zealand if somebody wants to see this and or hear me speak. So this is just a, another avenue or lane that I got to bring to the table. Yeah, because what people don't know is, you know, you're in the schools almost every day, you know, talking to these kids, reaching out to these kids. I mean, what's your main mission in these schools? And I mean, maybe help define, because even for me, I I know what you're there for to a point, but maybe, you know, what are you really doing there? What are you trying to instill, man, at at these schools? It's a lot. Um, There's the purpose really is just to build it. My message is always build heaven on earth. Yeah. But it's going to happen in it's phases. It's on, on the wall right there, bro. Yeah. So, <laughs> Written so, on the wall from the last podcast. <laughs> well, from, yeah, from, yeah. So, well, from our first one, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's just, just, you know, a lot of kids, they don't get love from home. And a lot of kids, they don't get love at the school. So they get love from the streets. So if they know, matter of fact, I think, uh, what's the percentage? I, they say studies show that 
80 percent of the kids who have one adult who are willing to support them and care about them become successful 80 percent that's a huge difference just one parent in the home changes everything just one parent in the home but a lot of the kids that i'm dealing with the mom's working two three jobs father's in prison father's dead or just a dead be dead and you got a lot of young males who never seen the carbon copy or the definition of what a man is so when i go into the schools like they look at me like look mr williams is a man and i'm trying to be like him i want to come back into the schools and give back the same way he's giving back or when we have mentorship programs and they're like look man i don't know how to mentor this kid man he just don't say anything well you didn't say anything when we first started either yeah i know but well you got to start learning how to build a relationship because when you start mentoring kids at this age and they're only two three years under you now when it's time for you to have kids now you already understand how to be a role model and how to start making connections at this age so i'm really just conditioning them to be leaders so between females not knowing the definition of a man males not knowing the definition of a man any civilization fails because of lack of leadership so when you go into schools and you start becoming an advocate for the students first then you start seeing bigger issues by realizing that some of the teachers are underdeveloped so a lot of the teachers don't have what they need so now you have teachers who lack classroom management skills because they don't know how to build relationships with the kids then they also struggling with the scrutinize of uh of of how they have to get tested well how teachers also get uh evaluated and if they don't make tenure now they don't get yeah. pay raises and they can lose their job so it becomes this it becomes idea of when when one when one when one person struggles the next person under will struggle if that's who they're under so it sounds to me though it's like the the parents of the children are struggling and right. that's where it be like it, it seems like that's where it begins like the struggle of the parents gets passed down and you know i'd ask you since you're in the schools every day man how i, I, I don't know i think a lot of parents maybe have a falsehood in the school to where they assume the school will just take care of them where it's you know providing counseling providing you know all types of these things because a lot of times you hear parents yelling at schools for things that i see that i go well that's your job. You right. know what I mean? I'm like, wait, why are you screaming at the school for your job? And how how much do you see, I guess the, to put it in a question form finally, is how much in the school do you see that these kids are solely just thrown at the school system to be relied upon and take, you know, look out and take care of them? You see it a lot. Uh, you see it. It's almost unbearable some days. Uh, some days you sit back and you pay attention to the teachers and <clears throat> you see how the teachers struggle. So um, that's why I'm real big on teacher support. So, you know, at least teaching teachers how to handle these situations. Because, man, when they go, when the teachers go into this classroom, every, like, was it 180 days is a school year? I, I don't know. I've been so, out too long. I, I, I have a daughter, so forgive me. I don't know. <laughs> well, well uh, 45, 45 minute. Uh, too, too long. Too 45 many. minute quarters. So four quarters, 180 days. So 180, they're going to war for 180 days. Hmm. That's so, too many in yeah. my book. Yeah, because because they not and it's only, conform learning too. It's structured robot learning. It's supposed to be, but it's not. It's, uh, it's not because the teachers don't know how to control the classroom for one, and then teachers have been limited for two. And on the third side, the parents have really conditioned their kids to go against authority. So now, when you see kids going against authority, and then you have teachers who really care, 
in between the teachers that really care and some of the teachers who kind of just gave up. Now, all the teachers who call, who, who are in these schools, there's a reason why they're in it. Like, they really care. You said that the parents have taught the kids to turn against the school, right? To blame the school almost. To see them as the enemy. Authority is the enemy. Well, they, they, they go against authority because that's what they see their parents do. Um, a lot of times we don't we don't realize what we teach our kids. So subconsciously, our kids pick up on the small things like um, yelling at the police or something crazy like that, or just having this idea: oh, police are bad, police are horrible. And then guess what the kids start doing? Because guess what the parents start teaching? You know what? If you don't put your seatbelt on, I'm gonna get this cop on you. How real is it? Because you're in two of uh, what D-rated, F-rated schools here. Oh yeah. no, no, no. Uh, Jones, Jones just got to be. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, go Jones. And I haven't figured out what Evans Great has been yet. It hasn't well, been posted let's just yet. say you're in choice schools that have long and lengthy reputations oh, yeah. uh, of uh, population. Right. Title one schools. Yeah. There you go. And, um, you know, is what we see on social media more hype about how these kids are fighting teachers, this aggression toward, you know, is this an increase from what we've used to see or what you've seen early versus now? Is Do you see that as much as at least Facebook and media trumps this up to be? Um, Hell, I did a whole podcast and went off on the shit for a while. So, you know, I, I'm kind of asking somebody who's in the school, uh, essentially, who doesn't have, you know, skin in the game is why I'm asking. You know, you're more like a consultant in the school, right? You're not right. really contingent to the school board. So that's why I kind of ask you, is it is it like that or is this media hype and, and fear? A lot of it, man, is media hype. You know, um, these kids are good kids. And if you think about the time when we were in school, our conditions weren't as bad as the kids' conditions now. Like, you are a product of your environment if you choose to be. Did you see those pictures from the Detroit schools online? That the these yeah the teachers do yeah the teachers are taking paint. these pictures. What the yeah. fuck is going on, man? Well, well, before we get to that, we're gonna keep it to uh <laughs> to, to what we yeah see. sorry it's yeah. left right. field so squirrel so, yeah. <laughs> squirrel yeah so so when, what I see in the schools is you know um, you have a lot of adults that care they just don't know how to reach the students so you know and the reality is, is you just really have to be yourself and you have to you, you got to expose you got to become vulnerable to them. And uh, I just, I just, mm. I just spoke that's Thursday. A, that's a hell of a, a way to approach it. I mean, for, for the most part, you're telling a teacher who's walking into an environment that they perceive it to be as wild, and you're you're saying that first they got to be vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable because, um, and, and this is one of my secrets. So I always, so kids always ask, so 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 who are you? Well, like, well. There's some kids in here who already know who I am. Let's ask them. They said, no, we want you to tell us. So who are you? So uh, Thursday, Thursday is a real good example because I started to tell them about my story. And uh, one girl ended up saying, well, you know what? You're right. Because I I, I was at a part where I was telling them, I said, well, you know what? I said, sometimes we just got to be aware that our parents just they were underdeveloped. So our parents didn't know what they were doing. Our parents can't give us anything that wasn't important or passed down to them. You know, let's say you have a marble in your pocket. And you have nine coins in your pocket and somebody asks you for an eraser. If it's never been put in you, you can't pull out an eraser. You can only give them marbles and coins. And sometimes that eraser (laughs) is going to be that that idea of forgiveness. And a lot of kids, parents haven't poured forgiveness into them. They haven't poured love into them. They don't know their kids love language. So kids are always feeling like they're being misunderstood. So. So they walk around with this aggression. They and, and that's that's Defense. part of it. That's, yeah, that's part of it. But the other reason is because they raise themselves. 
you know, the mom's just covering the bills. The mom don't sit down. Uh, week before last, I talked to a girl, and well, it was I was I was in Miss Fields' office. So shout out to Miss Fields at Evans High School. Just made uh, teacher of the year for Evans. So uh, yeah, teacher of the year, man. <laughs> go Miss Fields. Yeah, so, so making was, Evans uh, bringing up to an A school, man. I hope you yes. do it. My parents went to Evans High School. That's, I mean, that's how deep I'm from Pine Hills, man. So Evans is, is a part of my history and upbringing in a sense, you know, so I cheer for that to happen. Shout out to her. Man, just no kids names, bro. Oh, OK. No yeah. worries. You haven't said any. I just. Yeah. <clears throat> so so what ended up happening was uh, the kid sat down and Miss Phil's mom was in there, too. So um, shoot. So we end up. So she ended up saying, uh, well, you know, what? well, well, her mom always call and say that she worried about what she not doing and if she's here and if she's there and, and her mom always saying she lying. And every time her mom call, like I get on the phone with her mom and her mom saying this and saying that. And she was like, well, I don't know what's going on with these kids. So I looked at Miss Fields' mom and I said, uh, well, Miss, well, Mrs. Fields, you got to realize you're not a typical parent. She was like, what do you mean? I said, her mom probably doesn't have conversations with you like you had with Miss Fields. She was like, well, and then you looked out, looked at the girl and you started seeing tears come out. And she was like, my mom just never talks to me. My mom always talks at me. Oh. And I just want to have time with my mom, but my mom never makes time for me. That's big. Talks at me, not to me. That's huge, man. So, you know, so between them not feeling love and then you got somebody to come in. And, man, I'm telling you, um, it works both ends. Just them being able to have a male pull to the side and have a conversation with them makes a world of a difference so you know at evans they just call me uncle because they know whatever it is they and they want to talk i said all right i'm gonna come to your class so what class period you got a uh, you got a good break you got spanish yeah i got what about chorus i'll come to your chorus class <laughs> they were like all right so i come to the chorus class i uh, talk to the teacher the teacher let me pull them out and we just have a talk about life and that's what they've been missing so they've been missing that one-on-one so uh, sometimes i'm feeling in the void for father figures when girls want to ask questions like how, how do you tell if a man loved me or, you know, um, or uh, just just Tuesday, just Tuesday. I found out that one of the girls, her boyfriend broke up with her Monday. So she felt devalued. They do, man. So, you know, just not having a healthy relationship with any older male figure that's more like a role model or just a real man. You know, it plays a big role to them. So, you know, so they always looking for that validation. And if they don't get that validation now, when they get out in the streets, you know, they just looking for validation from any male because they'd rather just have any male than to not have a male. Mm. So. Yeah, that's the truth. They do. They they substitute that a lot, man. And I mean, it, having a daughter myself going through some of the questions, you know, even some of you're bringing up have been around recently, things we've discussed. And I think a lot of people take that for granted. They take the fact that, you know, I can my daughter can tell me, hey, I broke up with so and so. And we can talk about what it was like and what it went through and what she felt. And those small questions, you know, as you grow, imagine trying to raise yourself without even being able to ask the smallest question about what's healthy to eat, you know, or any of this, you know. And and you're right. That's what's missing. I think people do. They they assume. Well, I say assumptions and expectations ruin relationships. So if teachers are making assumptions about the students based on expectations, then you know why you have a disastrous relationship. Right. And and it goes along with the males, too. And excuse me, as you can see here live, Steve's not able to join us today. So I get to be the click person. So don't think I'm, I'm just, you see it. I'm not trying to hide it, you know, so right. it's kind of point and click, man. So, well, it, it's, it's, it also happens with the males, too, 
because the males keep thinking that uh well they listen to the radio and they listen and they watch movies and they think that being a man is you know jumping out here sleeping with a lot of different women and you know starting off by how many other women you can get that's how that shows what kind of man you really are but the reality is is trying to be that player you playing your community you playing you playing you like you just you playing everything about you you playing your kids you playing your kids baby moms and you playing everybody else because you're starting that curse by having them think that is normal to just be without a like without a father being in a household so you're lowering the standards thinking that you're playing mm. and the reality is is when you go in and you start talking to these young men and say hey look bro let me tell you how it really works you don't want to be out here trying to just mess around with all these girls because right now they're going to be a distraction and you haven't developed into being who you're supposed to be yet. And you only get a certain amount of energy every day. Mm. And you're going to need some energy to make sure you keep developing yourself until you find yourself at a platform where you're ready to have them. And, you know, um, that goes real big. That goes pretty far with them because when they look at you and they see that you're an attractive fella and they're like, Mr. William, you can get See, I know what I can get, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'm still being developed. So if I'm still being developed, think about how far of a of a difference of potential that we are. Yeah, the, well, you bring up a good point, man, and it's a, po- a point a lot of people I think miss. Um, there was a time, you know, I coached at the YMCA for two years. You know, I, I was nothing more. It was one of the most critical times of my life. Uh, those kids almost helped save finish saving my life you know i was the end of my two-year walkabout and i just came back and started coaching them kids and i love being around them you know and there were nine ten and not yet quite stained by society you know what i mean they're just playing football because it's fun you know they're just playing flag they're not trying to you know have some honor bestowed upon their trophy like victories you know what i mean yeah. and um the point, the crescendo of my <laughs> rant is how much do you think, because I think it's a lot, that people, they steer away from helping kids, whether it's in community groups like boys and girls clubs or in the schools like you do, out of fear of sexual harassment, retaliation, accusations. You know, you see that a lot. And even the mere accusation from someone of that age group, you know, be that boy or girl or anything, is enough to destroy someone's life for a long, long time. And so how much of this do you think plays into roles in people's choices of whether they decide to coach an all-girls team or coach an all-boys team or go into the schools as a young, attractive male such as yourself where young ladies look for role models and, you know, they can develop relationships in their own mind that don't even exist, you know? I mean, that's a high-risk place. Now, it is. You know what I mean? There was yeah. a time where you could help Bill Burr, the comedian, who I think is one of the greats of our time. Right. He jokes about how he loves kids, but he's scared to even look at them now because they're like, I'll get in trouble. You know what I mean? So he used to like make faces at them, you know, mess with them. Right. But he's scared that if he's doing that, he's had people jokes about how people look at him like, what are you doing? You know, like he's some sort of evil villain for messing with the kid. And that sticks in people's minds. I mean, it's a, I think comedians are philosophers, and if they're joking about it, I think this means it happens, you know? And, hell, I think about it. I get worried when my daughter was younger and she would have, like, a 12-girl sleepover. I mean, I bounced. I'm like, I'm not staying in the house, you know? It'd be middle schoolers and stuff like that. It was just safe. My brother worked in the school system for years. He had a rule, never alone, you know what I mean? And so the never alone rule I took. And so just the fact that there were 12 middle school girls in my house, I'm like, nah, I'm going to go stay with my brother tonight. You know, 
How, I mean, do you think about that? Is, is that, you know, do you see that happening? I mean, what's that? I mean, is it like, and I know it's a lot of questions, but you'll talk for a while is, you know, do you think it keeps people out from helping? No, no, it doesn't keep people out. Um, a lot of things that keep people out is the fact that they just can't afford the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's for one. For two, we become such a materialistic society. People don't know how to become minimalist and focus on what really matters. Oh, so great. somebody would rather go get this 745 BMW and have to work 50 hours than to work 40 hours and give back to the youth. Or... Um, You'll have another one where it's like mm, a lot of people just don't. Some people just don't meet the requirements. You know, uh, here in Orlando, you got a lot of you got a lot of males that are felons, and then you got people that just can't pass a background check because when if you're gonna if you're gonna come into the school district here in Orlando, you gotta make sure you have a clean background. They won't. They won't. They don't take any chances. So and I and I like it like that because uh, it's a huge vetting process, dude. It, hell, just I tried to go take my daughter out of school the other day just because it was Daddy Daughter Skip Day. We do that once in a while, mm-hmm. and uh, I it was like I was pulling my daughter out of a fucking compound. I was kind of nerve wracked by it. I mean, I mean, truth be told, I I wasn't so sure I liked it, you know, because I, I parked I'm I in one way in, one way out. Right. It's a fucking walled off thing. I, you you feel safe, you know what I mean? Uh, Walk in shooters and all this crazy shit, but you kind of go, "What the fuck?" And how did we let it get to a point to where we had to wall in our students from the outside world completely? And when I had to pull her out, it was like, "Check this ID, check that ID." I couldn't move. They had to come to me. I mean, I like that protection. Don't get me wrong, but it sure felt like a fucking compound. It sure felt like I, I was like, are you in like, where the fuck are you? Are you in a place to learn and grow? Or are you in a place to be like manufactured and processed, man? It was it was trippy, man. <laughs> They're like that. So, I mean, so I mean, it's good, right? Because they don't yeah. want, obviously, you don't want people in there handling it. Yeah, but, it, it eliminates, for one, it eliminates the distractions. For two, the kids feel safe because they know if it's hard for them to get out of the school, they know it's going to be hard for people to come into the school. Yeah. So, you know, it eliminates a lot of distractions. So when they come to school, they it's feel a double edged sword because now when people just want to come into the school to help, it's a fucking process. I can't just go to the school. You know what I mean? Well, I, it's a process. Well, well, think about it like this. Kind of like flying. Right. Once the T- TSA got in there. Yeah, we felt safe. But fuck my life now if I want to fly anywhere. <laughs> well, well, uh, would you want a complete stranger who had no background check to not. come in and have a conversation with your daughter or, you know, just yeah, to become right. the volleyball coach? You're right. Of course not. Of course not. Right. I'm all for the background <laughs> check. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I definitely am. You know, it's that fine line, I guess, you know, because you want to help the community and get as many people as you can get in there. But and, the, I'm sorry. Go the, ahead. The problem is school isn't the only place you can help. Mm, yeah. You know, don't, don't think it's just a school. You can always, man, you, you have so many nonprofit organizations who are always looking for help. Do you know um, something that we could help? Like, where could they, where could, you know, listeners help well, out? You if still looking? got a boys and girls club that are always looking for people to come in and show support. Now you're going to have to get the background check there too. Cause well, for one, Orlando is phenomenal for kids. So they always protecting the kids first. And yeah, Disney helps do that. Yeah. They help also fuck up a lot of shit in the city too. <laughs> I, I just stick to the kids. I, yeah, I I'm sorry. Yeah, forget the conspiracy. <laughs> it came out there for a minute. I yeah. was raised with the mouse, man. So, 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the mouse does good things too. Don't get me wrong. I, I stay in my lane. I just, if they support the kids, <laughs> I'm supporting the kids. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. So apparently you don't answer to the school board, but you do answer to a rodent. No, I don't answer to no rodent. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No rat. No rat. Um, but yes, but it's, it's, Honestly, uh, you have you have uh, you have tons of boys and girls clubs. You have different. You have big brother, big sister. So if you want a mentor, you can always go to them. They really only ask you to come out twice a month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See the kids twice a month. Yeah. And that's more than most of them ever seen their parents. And one conversation, man, can change the world for a kid. It could. And and you know it's it's huge. Like it's big. It's major. Yeah. You never really know. You know, we were talking. You were actually talking about. Um, uh, how somebody was buying, they were you know, talking about helping and, and then showing off a lot of money, but yet they were buying a bunch of other things. You're talking about being a minimalist. Right. Yeah, of, of that point. And I got into a fun debate with my mom. We do that a lot. Um, that's probably part her. But um, anyway, I took the position, just for argument's sake, Anquan Bolden was giving his NFL Man of the Year commencement. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's done a lot of wonderful things for people. I don't want to get that twisted. The man has done great things. Should have deserved the award, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Granted. The opening of the, hell, the Super Bowl's turned into like an 18-hour thing on TV. It's fucking crazy. You know, so one of those pre-shows, they were doing like one of those cribs, MTV cribs type things, you know, with Anquan. They were walking through his closet and his house and everything he has. And he was showing off his shoe collection, his his eyeglass, uh, sunglasses collection was just amazing. You know, thousands of dollars a pair, you know. And um, then they give him the NFL man of the world. And look, this dude gives out his share of funds. Don't get it twisted, you know. And he does also say that, hey, my purpose wasn't to play football. I use this money as a position to, you know, help. And I, I agreed with everything he said. But I could not get out of my mind what I'd watched three hours prior is the walk through a fucking one of his mansions with 80,000 pairs of sunglasses. And I thought, how many books is that? How many heaters in a home is that? You know what I mean? I, all I could think about was all those kids you're helping that looks good on camera with a handshake the day you showed up at the hospital to kiss the dude with cancer. You know what I mean? I get it. That's love. You need to do that. I'm, I'm not going to downplay that. Right. <clears throat> but it was hard, brother. I couldn't ignore. Like, we, you were just showing me. Like, a million dollars in sunglasses and sneakers. All right. So you ready? All right, I'm ready. All right, so here's the debate. <clears throat> Let's say you're making $65,000 a game, right? He's doing that a minute, bro. I mean. Right. So so, so you're making $65,000 a game, and I'm not quite sure how much he's making, but um, the point that I'm going to make is all that he spent was peanuts in reference to how it really is. Am I blurry over there? I'm blurry. Uh, it may catch back up the cameras, man. Oh. Yeah, we're so, learning. We're learning. So, so it's, it's like, uh, it's like, according to his budget, that's still nothing. That's still pennies on a dollar to him. But to us, you know, it would take us forever. So you, you gotta, you gotta really look at. Uh, it, it's not stunting if you got it. Well, let me let me ask. So I looked it up. Anquan Bolden signed a two-year, twelve million dollar contract. Oh yeah, including a four point five million dollar signing bonus with nine million dollars guaranteed, mm-hmm. with an average annual salary of six million dollars in two thousand sixteen. That's what he'll earn. Okay. So so wow. every, so everything that you just saw that he bought was still pennies on a dollar. Oh yeah. So when 
in reference to how he gives not just money, but he also gives life's currency. He gives time to these kids. Yeah, that he does. You know, so so it just if your budget was larger, you would have a lot more too. Because I mean, they already tax him thirty percent. Sometimes, yeah, they tax him. They tax. He's in the high. He's the one in the highest tax bracket. Oh, he's getting ripped. Yeah, yeah, he's getting fucking ripped. So so if they if they're taking if they're taking thirty percent, I mean, I think it may be higher than that. Probably. Yeah. So, so so just imagine this: you're spending more than what you, or you're spending less than what you're getting taxed. Yeah, yeah. I think it may it may be even and equal to close. You know what I mean, Roxy, Roxy, baby, let her out, dog. Let her out of the cage. I can edit that out. Just open the door. Hi, live people. That is Roxy, my my little baby girl, has stopped by. That's good, dog. No, she's in. You just had to let Roxy out. <laughs> All right, she's letting him in. We'll come back to me. The, oh, okay. Thank you. Well, that's the joys of doing something live. My daughter is home and um, locked out. She wasn't feeling well this morning. She decided not to drive to school this morning. And let me tell you, my daughter, yes, is driving to school. Um, she turned 16, gave her the family car, and she drives herself to practice three or four nights a week, too, in training. It is so scary. It's so scary having your daughter drive. But she's safe. She's good. I know that. You know, but it's the other people, right, that you worry about. And, oh, I, I just suggest this to parents. When your kid starts driving, when you know they take off driving somewhere, be busy. Be doing something uh, and be busy when your child decides to drive, at least for the first couple of weeks, because it's the only way you can not think about bad things happening when your daughter's driving. But, yeah, so uh, Granny picked her up from school today. She loves doing that. I love Granny. Shout out, by the way, while I'm on Granny's. To all the local grannies and uncles and aunts and grandmas and grandpas that fill in for parental units that are advancing their life and doing things with themselves and helping out with the family. Shout outs to you unsung hero grandparents out there that, you know, really do a lot for those families out there. I love you. I love you, Granny. Thank you for doing so much. I love her. Welcome back, Mike. I think we were... I think I was bitching about how much money that Anquan Bolden makes versus what he gave back. Right. Uh, and then to award somebody for it. And then granted, yeah, it's, you know, $6 million a year salary. Here's 5 million bucks up front. You know, if they tax that probably once, but you know, he's got lawyers and tax loopholes and remember everything he donates to is also a tax write off loophole too. So as much money as he's raising for his nonprofit are write offs for his 12, 5 million. So there's wonderful loopholes in helping people, you know, and you know, he's lawyered up and, and, and done well, but I only brought it up. I really didn't have a view either way because the point, if I had to choose a view, the view I would take is he's fucking helping. Who gives a shit? That's the real honest truth. But at the time, I couldn't help but watch it and go, but there's a huge contrast between the speech I just heard and the guy I just watched walking through his closet. You know what I mean? I'm like, somewhere in the middle, that's probably him. That's why I think I brought so that what, what was what was What made it contrast? What was the contrast about it? What, what, did the, what, what made you feel like? He was I just didn't, him. I couldn't picture the NFL man of the year bragging about a sunglasses and sneaker collection. Well, he didn't do it in, he didn't do it in his, in his, in his speech. No. So they asked him, it's not like he says, all right, look, if I'm going to be this guy, 
Come to my house. But he, he lives that guy. You know, I don't want to get it twisted. You know, he does a lot. And the truth, like I said, the truth beneath all this shit, despite the argument, is he's fucking doing something. I could give a shit if he's given 0.2% of his percentage. It's something. You know what I mean? So fuck that. You know, I just brought it up for sake of argument, you know, because you see that contrast between the money. Hell, we do it as a society. The money that we give towards schools seems to be cut first anytime we want to do something. You know, we cut education first. I mean, how I mean, you live in it. How strained how strained are the budgets of growing, you know, and cultivating, you know, students and teachers? They have a pretty decent budget. But when you account for the things that we don't think about, um, new textbooks, textbooks do get old. Um Substitutes. Hell, they should just throw out all the first textbooks. Most of them are full of bullshit lies anyway. Yeah. So, but you you have you have textbooks, and uh, each principal get their own budget too. So within their budget, they got to cover everything. I mean, from everybody that comes in, concession stands, upkeep on the school, um, pressure washing the schools, um, the electricity bill, tutors. You pay for all this stuff. And yeah. all this stuff, the principals have to just come out without a day budget. So um, what they try to do is hold football events and so forth to try to raise more money. But when the money isn't coming in from the community, then the school is going to be in shambles. So you leave the principal stuck with this small budget that she has to work with. Because, I mean, <clears throat> if you let's say, all right, let's say you have I'm just going to shoot for the stars and say twenty five hundred students. You get a ten million dollar budget. That's not a lot because you have to feed these kids every day for 180 days. Mm-hmm. You have to pay teachers 180 days worth pay. You know, there was a contest I picked up on you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your point, and oh. then I'll try not to interrupt you. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you have uh, you have teachers that you have to, that you have to pay for 180 days straight. You have substitutes when teachers don't feel well. Teachers still get paid, yeah. but the substitutes you have to pay the substitutes. So you're going to pay the substitute anywhere from 100 to 120 dollars a day. Yeah. And which is still shit fucking money. Right. Um, which I think is so fucking weird. Here's a, here's an issue I got. But it's a substitute. Uh, still, we pay. All you got to do is get an associate's degree. It, well, it shouldn't be teaching. The way, I, the way I see it is we pay our teachers shit. So we technically just put the most random underachiever in front of our students. Wait a minute. No, I'm kidding. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me feel it out. <laughs> All right. Let me. Most, no, because listen, my point is they know they're walking into 30 grand a year in Florida salary, 38. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's where you're in between 40. If you're a while, whatever, which is still shit. It's hard to live on that shit money. And it's very hard to live on that, especially if you have a family. We decide to pay our students shit or our teachers shit. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I meant was we, pretty much can throw any Joe Schmo in front of a student is what I meant. You got to get a two year degree. You, oh, that's to be in a, that's to be a substitute, right? That's that's still, they still go in front of our kids. You know what I mean? So whether it's a substitute or a four year degree with a, 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 another teacher, right? I can get a four year degree, follow education, right? And get into teaching. And, but my point is if a guest speaker wants to come talk, who may be known in the community, he's got to get checked and a thumb up his butt through TSA to make sure he can, he's allowed to walk on campus. Right. And same with teachers, right? Hell of a background check to right. be a teacher. It's ridiculous. I mean, TSA may as well do it. Mm-hmm. We care about them so much. Our students that we do all that, 
but we pay the teacher shit. I mean, look, we know if you make a salary huge, it attracts the best. We know that. And so it, it will. It will attract the best. Not necessarily the best people. I'm not saying the best people. What I'm saying is is if I put out an award for a million dollars for the best two-minute trailer movie you know, that somebody can put together, mm-hmm. I get so many injuries in the, the type of production that will go into that versus I'm going to do a $2,000 prize for a movie trailer, the production that goes into that. And so that's what I'm saying is if being a teacher meant a master's degree, maybe it meant longer education, right? Longer things, which I also think if you're going to be a teacher, a doctor, and a lawyer, you should be able to go to school for free personally because you're bringing an added skill to the community, you know, and it takes a while. It's fucking six, seven years. So I think teaching should be a longer pathway. I think, you know, cops too. It should be a longer pathway to be that and the salary should match the effort, you know, that you put in. You know, right now the four-year degree is pretty much worth thirty grand, forty grand a year. You know, and that's what I'm, my contrast is. We're so protective of who goes in front of them, right? But yet we're not willing to pay for some of the smartest minds to be in front of them on a regular basis, right? What is real? It seems like half is bullshit. Well, <clears throat> um, this is how you got to look at it. Everybody has their hands tied. Um, when you look at the school board, Orange County Public School Board are amazing. They do what they can with the budget that they have. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, so they still have a lot that they have to pay for. And their stipulations every time a new school open up, how much space they have, like how much, how many, how many acres they have to purchase. They still got to pay for the building, and you know, you get new schools being built because Orange County is growing. Yeah, now well, it's, it's ridiculous to what they have to do, and they right. do well. So I mean, it's, the best they can, right? And, and and when you when you look at it from the point of the school boards, a lot of times it's not the school board. Sometimes it's legislation, it's state. So sometimes somebody can make a bad decision in office in state, and they expect for the school board to try to work with it the best way they can, so that they can still pay their teachers something. So the school board, a lot of times, is the messenger getting killed. Yeah, they getting eaten alive. So when they get eaten alive, of course they're going to take on the bulk of it. They're held to state standards locally, so the Orange County, the county legislation takes the brunt of it. Right. And, and honestly, man, I, let me tell you. I don't know if you ever went to a school board meeting. Oh, they're going to have one. Not They just had one this Thursday. Dude, you could do, right after Jerry Springer and Maury Povich, you could put on some sort of parody called the school board meeting. Well, well, the, the school board meetings go very well, but you know they always have their hands tied. Like, I mean, they they, they they really want to do a lot, but they just can't. It's the characters that stand up and talk that become quite entertaining. <laughs> the ones that decide, you know, their five minute speech in front of the school board, you know, is going to be this life game changer thing. That's what I meant. Is you could seriously just film every school board meeting and eventually have some decent film work for some sort of television special. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you get yelled at from both sides. You're elected positioned officials. I mean, I mean, look, and like you said, they're dealing with parents that are teaching to blame authority in the school for the problem. And then you have, and and if you don't, if parents don't understand that their role as a parent is to help their kids develop as great people. Now, when these kids come into school and they're not great people, guess what the teacher have to do? The teacher have to deal with these kids who are underdeveloped as far as, uh, what do you what you call it? Home training. They don't have any home training, so now the teacher has to train before they teach, and that's tough, man. And you know, kids come into school with all these emotions too. You know, so you it's got kids. Parts, man. Man, you, you got you got kids who they're they're homeless. 
you got girls who have been raped by their mom boyfriend so so she filed a report now the mom kicks the little daughter out and brings her boyfriend back in the house so now she doesn't have a place to stay she lives in sofa to sofa and like you get these are the deal these are the things that these young kids are dealing with so they got yeah, all this emotional baggage that they're dragging into school and you expecting for them to just want to learn. So now teachers have to be. Uh, That's what I'm saying. And then you're going to hand them a four year graduate at 22 years old who's had a silver spoon in her mouth or his mouth the whole life. Give him a four year degree, a couple things on psychology and send him in his classroom. And, and, and when they go in, they go in like, oh, I'm going to get me a new class. My kid's going to love me. And these kids like, uh, we about to, we gonna test you. We gonna, you think you, you think we getting some tests? You think we got the F cap? Or you just wait till you see how we, how you turn out within the first four weeks? Because the kids are there to test you. The kids are there to test you if you really care, if you really don't. You mm-hmm. can't be soft and be a pushover. See, and they, I think a lot of people see that as bad little kids when they're testing the boundaries and territories. They're really testing like we would if we were on a meet somebody as an adult. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't just go, hey, here's my whole life. I trust you with everything. Right. Right. So. But as teachers, right, a lot of them and parents expect the teacher to walk in and all the kids to just go, we trust you completely with everything you say. <laughs> Even though we've come from a place where we've never had trust or love. Right. And so they, they're going to have a defense up because they're in survival mode already. Mm. They live in survival mode. You think they're not going to come to school in survival mode? The only way they're going to come to school not in survival mode is if you let them know that you got their back and you willing to go to bat for them. You're going to fight for them when their parents don't. Well, and what is the 22-year-old teacher who hasn't really seen much hardship in life, who is parentally unit raised, remember, what do they see as? Remember, it was authority. They're taught that, well, authority said you study. Authority said you go to bed. Authority said you wake up. Yeah, all subjective. Right, so that's what I meant when I said well, I misspoke and said underachievers. That's not what I meant. What I meant was unexperienced. There we go. So you have some a four-year degree person, which I think it should require a minimum of masters to walk into a high school. And you should have lengthy psychology courses, lengthy sociology courses before you're A, a policeman, or B, a teacher. That should just come with it. You shouldn't, you know, I think more and more they're leaning toward you have to have a master's now. They're leaning more that way, I think, mm-hmm. which is good. But one, it shouldn't cost teachers so much because now they're strapped at forty, forty-five a year, paying off fucking student loans. Yeah. You know, but like I said, that's what I meant is that twenty-two-year-old that has seen nothing. I mean, there's no class that's going to teach her or him how to communicate with that type of student. There's no way. You. That was the other part. The other part is. You know, once again, you're right, 22 years old, and they're just they're still underdeveloped as people. So when you have underdeveloped people trying to become great teachers. Now, however, I feel like um, I feel like every new teacher should have a men should, should be mentee should ha- should be the mentee of a tenure teacher. That's a huge point. I love that because as a counselor, right, we right. have to do an internship right. and I'm supervised for two years yeah. for 15 hours a week. I'm too for a a mentor like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that seems so logical to a, you up the length of school and education to that standard. You do an internship. What if you had dual teachers to where there was always two in the classroom? One was an understudy intern and one was a teacher and they had to do two years of internship as a teacher assistant making 30, 40 grand a year. And then once you became a teacher, now you're in your sixties, seventies, depending on your location. Chicago does well. New York does well. They do eighties and you know, sometimes higher, but it costs a living. But if you know what I mean? I love that idea, bro. 
Is it? It'll be more of the issue of a school budget, though, because mm-hmm. the principal will still have to pay for it. Can't afford it. But we can build a thirteen billion dollar battleship. Shoot, oh. What the fuck? Hey, I'm, I'm gonna stick to education. <laughs> I'm gonna stay in my lane. <laughs> I never stay in my fucking you, you, lane. You're not getting ready to merge me from now on. <laughs> I got a, I got a big issue not staying in my lane, dude. <laughs> I go way out and speak so fast sometimes. Where I can be like, man, I should probably research that real quick, or I read it somewhere, or I saw it on a documentary. You know what I mean? I I, th- I think I think what should happen is. Since college tuition is already there, mm-hmm. um, put it in their college tuition fee. Hmm. To where? Explain. What do you mean? Like, because uh, for teachers anyway, like if you sustain, if you if you're a teacher, I think it's like five years, and then they and then your uh, your your what you call it's forgiven. So um, so your student loans are forgiven after five years if you're a teacher for five years. Wow. So now, can I switch and go be a teacher, and they'll forgive all my student loans for do it for five years? (laughs) Yeah, but they don't forgive my student loan teachers. My student loans for being a teacher, probably not the ones for. I think they they still will. Uh, You just got to show proof that you've been a teacher for five years. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm thinking. What if they just uh, for teachers? What if they just upped it twenty thousand, right? So if they upped it twenty thousand for their last two years, or twenty thousand per year for two years. Any teacher right now that's listening to this podcast, Mike Rummel, and they just heard twenty grand tattooed on the back end of their fucking budget, I'm telling you, four or five teachers went into tears immediately right now. Well, well, <laughs> well, well here's here's the deal. So, like, let's say once they finish their AA and they get into their four year degree, um, attack on twenty years onto their tuition. I'm mean, tacking twenty, tack on twenty thousand onto their tuition for those two years. But you'll pay them that twenty thousand per year, um, their junior and their senior year. So it's not like they're really losing. Mm. But the reality is, is they'll get paid twenty thousand. Now, if you're in college and you're making twenty thousand dollars a year, you're oh, doing you're, holy shit! You're balling. You're balling. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, so you can, so you, so your whole really, so your whole focus is really just going to be school, going in and understanding the basis of what it is to be a teacher. God, they need a full reconstruction. It sounds like of this process, too. Yeah. So, so if they if they do that, and then they graduate, and once they graduate with their bachelor's degree, they go inside the schools and teach. That five years of teaching, then they already have a great. They already have a loan forgiveness, so they're not going to have to worry about paying that forty thousand back because it's loan forgiveness, mm. and mm. it's not coming out of the school board budget. It's yeah. not coming out of the the print. It's not coming out of the school's budget, <sighs> and it's already been forgiven by the government. I think that that would that would yeah that that would influence a lot more people to become to want to become teachers. Yeah, Cause yeah, because it's a tough road. You're broke in college, and you're broke when you graduate. You're broke when you're employed. <laughs> right. So 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 just so just, good so, retirement though. Yeah, phenomenal retirement. So you know, they handle you on the back end. Yeah, they take care of you. Um. So so just imagine if they did that, then a lot of issues would get fixed because for one, every teacher would have an assistant. Oh. Well, most teachers will have an assistant. For the teachers who need an assistant, they'll have an assistant. Five more just cried. You said five more. They, they I can see them driving, listening to this. One cursing me out on something I said, and then two going twenty thousand more dollars on my salary. You know, they can cry. a teacher assistant. Oh my god! I bet half of the, no, I bet more. I bet eighty to ninety percent of these teachers, if given a teacher's assistant and twenty grand more a year, would chase continuing education on their own. Oh, I'm not saying give the teachers twenty thousand more a year. No, not at all. I'm saying. Pay the pay the teacher's assistant that, yeah. But it just comes out. Of I would school. add twenty to this teacher's salary too. 
I would too, but it'll put a strain on the principal and the school board. Well, we got to find the money. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's who's in front of my kid, man. Right. And, and you know, you always invest in your future. So um, I'm with you on that. But it just, I well, think. Well, they could bring more use in. You, you see what I'm saying? So now we're talking. <laughs> now, now this, this helps my budget. I, I like my budget. You're though. a budget guy too. <laughs> but I mean, I mean that to where, you know, if. I, I love the idea of adjunct professors at colleges, right? And, you know, I'm going to lead into talking about free college because that's what I want to ask you about free education. And I'm a fan of free college, and I think it should be. I mean, hell, Bob Marley said it. If education is the key, why isn't it free? And people get upset when I say that, and I bring it up on two fronts. A, a lot of people say they shouldn't pay for it because, well, they had to pay for it. And so I've heard parents say, well, my kids should have to pay for college because we paid for it. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Why wouldn't you give them? And then a notion where people go, no, you should have to earn college. And then I go, motherfucker, you still got to get in. You, you still got to do the work and pass. I love it how people, when they hear free college, they go, no, we're just giving it away. We're enabling them. And I'm going, they got to study. They got to read. Do you know what life is like in fucking college? So I'm like, you got to earn it still. I, yeah, I, I feel like if you're going to do free college, I think you should up the stand, I think you should up the requirements. No, it will. But and right now, though, college is even getting so thin, like it's so difficult to get into schools right now. I mean, the scores got to be so high. You got to go beyond just average now. Now, smaller schools, sure. But states, colleges, they, they fill up, man. They got like UCF right here local, I think, is probably the most one of the most, if not the most populated college in the, in the country. Right. I mean, I remember when it was 20,000 students and it was 60,000. It's crazy. You know, and so they up the standards hard enough to get in. And then if they do it free, the college doesn't have all the money that they have to do what they do is what they complain. Right. But I kind of say, look, A, they're balling off of sports. Make sure sports teams have to do well. That's how you get money. And you should pay the college athletes. My Agreed. I also think you should yeah. pay college athletes. I, I feel like they should get a stipend. Oh, well, let me say like this. Oh, no, I, no, no, no. They They get an education. They're okay. getting. That's what everyone fucking argues. Right, well, well, this is what I'd say. But guess you. what? If I give it, if education's free, right? Guess what? The college can't say they're giving athletes anymore. Free scholarship. That's right. So it's bigger than just making college free and can't afford it. Yeah, I, 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 I think they should. I think they should give. Uh, I think. What do you call those things? Uh, man, I'm having a brain fart. Um, what do most What do most rich kids have that they trust fund? Trust fund. Yeah, I trust think they fund. Set babies. up a trust fund. And I think based off of how how much how much um, merchandise that student sells, like how many jerseys, like let's say it was Jameis Winston, how many Jameis Winston uh, jerseys sold off the rack? Oh my God! I think that 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 should go into a trust fund, and all that money, like you split. I mean, split it fifty fifty, because you're already going to make money off the tickets anyway. Yeah. So when it's on a personal level, like just go ahead and put all that in the trust fund. It's for us fifty fifty on that. Now, how many? How many tickets they sell as far as a team? I think you should also put a substantial amount into the trust fund for that. So that way, while they're playing and while they're doing well, um, that money doesn't become a distraction. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's smart. That's a lot of people talk about that. That's yeah. true. You don't want you don't want to give a nineteen year old big money like that who you want focusing on a sport for sure. Right. So yeah. So uh, I like and, that idea. And, and with athletes, I don't know if people understand how some of these athletes go to school. Like a lot of these linemen, like office of linemen, they're going to school to be doctors. So, you know, their workload is crazy. 
Yeah. So they have no free time at all. Mm-mm. And when you, you really s- miss when you play sports in college, you really miss the entire college experience. Yeah, you have no social life. Mm-mm. And then you're getting beat up too while you're on the field and in practice and working out. So a lot and, of your and time, everyone on campus also thinks you're privileged, and so they kind of look at you like your your shit's easy, mm-hmm. and you're like motherfucker. You know, it's it's yeah, a they, rough. Yeah, they don't see the playbooks. They don't see the five thirty meetings. They don't see the seven thirty meetings at night. They don't see how they don't see how they got to wake up early in the morning, work out, then go to class, leave class, go to practice. Hell, Once they're done with practice, got study hall. From study hall to going back to watch film, then you come home. Then you still have the then. then we haven't even talked scrimmage, scrimmage. Well, you know, I like to contrast the numbers, right? Because you know what they do. They always argue, well, the education you're getting is, you know, priceless or whatever. I said, no, it has a number. Because if I wanted to go to, say, FSU, use James Winston. If right. I wanted to go to FSU for four years, it would cost me X. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to see is the four years it costs to go there versus how much money they made off of James Winston jerseys. And now could they argue that, well, he gets a free education, or could they make, I don't know, six, seven, eight, ten million dollars on jersey sales? Meanwhile, it's 150 grand to go to FSU for a degree up to a master's, maybe, right? And that this is still the argument. And you know what's funny? College stadiums are a lot larger, they're like almost twice the size as NFL stadiums. I did what? Yeah, Division One, Division One, really? Right? Yeah, so, uh, when you go to a Florida game, you can get 70,000. In yeah. that stadium, yeah, I think um, some of the biggest are what, like eighty thousand. Yeah, I think I heard one hundred twenty somewhere. Sometimes one hundred twenty thousand, depending on where the stadium's at. Yeah, you know how much NFL stadium a whole? Uh, uh-uh. thirty, maybe forty thousand. No shit. Yeah. So when you look at these numbers, you know they're banking off these athletes, and I just think the athletes should get paid for it. And but I, I feel like I feel like if they're sacrificing you look, their, you look, body, you're right on point, brother. Look at you. Look at you. I had to fact check you. <laughs> I fact check you right here, and you are right on. Look. Uh, the number one stadium globally is Run Grotto in the first of May Stadium in Pungonoy at 150,000. Backed up, I mean, look at this. Number two, largest stadium, and this is the world, mind you, the world. Michigan Stadium mm-hmm. for Ann Arbor, Michigan, our right. Wolverines, 107,000, right? Number two, Beaver Stadium. Pennsylvania State College at 107,000. Number three, Ohio Stadium, the arch rival to Michigan in Columbus, Ohio at 104,000. Right. No joke, dude. I mean, look at you. So, I mean. And then go to NFL Stadium. NFL Stadium. NFL largest stadiums. The Dal- I knew it would be Dallas. You know, no, yeah. That's astronomical. Everything's right? bigger in Texas. We do it big. Get it done. Eagles and all. Right. So, <laughs> that's true. Eagles. I don't, I don't know about. Everything else, but let's see. AT and T Stadium. Uh, oh, shout out to my sister in law. She's from Texas. Reminded me of her. Shout out to you. Happy birthday, Noel Lowry. All the way up there in Alaska. So Dallas Cowboys is the largest stadium, um, holding a hundred thousand more spectators, though it normally only seats eighty thousand, and that's the largest. Right. And the one behind that is sixty thousand. See. Yeah. So that's Chicago Bears Stadium. Uh, Soldier Field at at sixty thousand. You were way way fucking on. Look at that, dog. Yeah. So I mean, so when you when you see how many seats they fill, and how much, because I mean, you have college students, so they're going to eat a whole lot more. They're going to binge a whole lot more as far as food and and uh, and chips and sodas and and everything else at the stadium than they would anywhere else. It's true. Oh God, once you start you, adding that up to, and you, it's what eighty five dollars for a small beer. 
<laughs> Sixty-eight bucks for a French fry. Right. So you so you have you, you literally have automatic students. I mean, so you you have you have automatic fan base because everybody's already going there, so they can go to the games. So when you got so many people going to these games and you don't have to do any marketing because it's already been set, you already know that there's going to be a football game on what days. You know, the schools are already setting all that stuff up. So all the money that they're getting. Now, granted, the school's going to get a lump sum and try to do some things with it. But you also got alumni coming back and pouring in. I just feel like I feel like stu- all student athletes should get paid. Yeah, it's it's hard to not. I mean, can we still make the fucking argument that the education is what the athletes get? I mean, is that really a, 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 is that still a logical fucking argument? You know, is it really? I mean, to say that, that they get an education. Like, here we go. A I looked it up. Cost of attendance for the fall and spring at FSU for personal in-state is in-state is $21,000. Out-of-state is thirty five A year? Uh, yeah, a year. Right? So you're looking at, you know, what, 20, 40, 60, 80. You're at 80 to $100,000. Right. For a one for a four year bachelor's degree. So if you're a teacher with a four year degree from FSU, you're somewhere in the range of seventy to a hundred thousand dollars in debt, right. which I know correlates to about a thousand dollars a month for right. ten years of your life. Yeah, a little less. You can do five to six hundred probably five to six hundred dollars a month for ten years of your fucking life right. to go make thirty eight thousand dollars a year teaching, dealing with the kind of you know troubled students that are from this fucked up backgrounds man like it's no wonder and the teachers are getting beat down and wore out because the school boy doesn't really have the budget to support the, to support the teachers the way they want to so you know that's why i'm big on making sure i start this fit for the fight campaign for teachers which is to give teachers like massages inside the school or even after school make sure we help them out with their health because you know i'm big on health my phrase is always when health is absent wisdom can't reveal itself art can't manifest strength can't fight wealth becomes useless and intelligence can't be applied. So when you walk into a school where kids don't eat, so now you have kids that are unhealthy. So kids that uh, have issues as far as since health is since their health is absent, wisdom can't reveal itself, art can't manifest, strength can't fight, wealth becomes useless, and intelligence can't be applied. Then you have teachers where health is absent, wisdom can't reveal itself, art can't manifest, strength can't fight, wealth becomes useless, and intelligence can't be applied. It's kind of hard to get something off the ground if everybody's unhealthy. And if everybody isn't stable, so between unstable households and then you also have these teachers who once again are struggling because they still have to pay their budget. So the parents are in the struggle. Uh, students see the teachers in the struggle. And between parents and teachers being in the struggle, the kids think that life is a struggle. So until we start pouring back into our schools to give our principals bigger budgets or pour back into Orange. Now, look, Orange County taxpayers here in orange county has done a phenomenal job as far as making sure that we that we get more funds for our schools and and you know and that's great and you know i applaud that which is why i love orange county like man it's it's, it's, well, it's we, we were talking about that we were talking about you going into schools and how i like that if you look at a lot of private schools you know that are sixty thousand dollars a year type shit community school in naples is one of them uh down in naples uh, obviously <clears throat> but they're it's not this, I don't know, weird teaching thing that they're doing now that we've talked about before. Um, what's the background? <clears throat> what's it called? The new teaching method? Oh, the Marzano plan. Yeah, I was watching some of this math shit they're teaching them. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with these people. Well, that, that has nothing to do with the Marzano plan. <clears throat> All right. So either way, my, my thing is this, it's a new kind of school down there, right? It's kind of the kids follow their own interest in teaching and they cultivate that, right? It's wonderful and very expensive. 
for reasons I don't know. I'm sure we could copy the same plans, you know what I mean, about what they're doing to, to do up here. And they and let's look, to, when you get a master's degree or higher, you deal with a lot of adjunct professors, of people that are not professors. They own companies. They're in the workforce of whatever, and they come in and teach a class, right? Because we've devised that as the best way of teaching. Right. So, and also long-term professors too. So, but in schools, high schools, et cetera, I would like to see more of yous that are in the fields in schools every day, right? Talking to my kid, showing them different avenues all the time. You know what I mean? Of different choices and pathways to, to careers and help and so much. It should be a smorgasbord of competence experience that our children should be able to walk around in a fairy tale of learning and grab this and grab that and just soak it all the fuck in, in my eyes. But we can't. They have those. Man, there's so many programs that they're, Owens they're County, expensive schools. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Owens County, Owens County. Like, man, I, I probably got to stop saying Owens County, but it's fine. Uh, but Owens County, like, they really have a good, like, they have a good group of programs. Yeah, and a lot of these programs are good. Like, um, all right, uh, City Year. They're not teacher assistants, but they're they're tutors for students to stay after school. So whatever they don't get. There has been substituted. So you have United Way, you have City Year, um, you have uh, you have uh, Elevator Orlando. Man, you have um, you, uh, you have, man, there's a lot. Like so, there's a lot of uh, of where they pick up the slack, and it's a lot that OCPS allows to come in and pick up the slack for what the kids don't have at home. Yeah. So in schools, their job is to really just teach the like teach the structure of the school, but in the same time, at the same time, like you have so many different programs that kids just don't utilize like they don't use the resources like i'll tell you like this in mm. orange county if you fail as a student it's your fault you, you know that's that's strong to say man because a lot of parents right now be trying to come after you say that i'm telling you right <laughs> now what i see i see a lot of laziness because you know when, I, when i'm in the schools let me tell you what i do all right so uh, kids know that i teach them how to learn and i'm phenomenal in math and science i can teach any kid math and science i don't care what kids you put in front of me i'll learn this learning language once i learn this learning language I can show him the ropes because I can learn. I can teach him in the way that he understands, right? So when I go inside the schools and I teach a t- and, I, and I, I teach a kid how to learn, um, obviously there's a formula for it. And I say, all right, so use this formula, and I'll walk them through the formula three or four times. And I say, all right, so you got it? Yeah, I got it. Then he'll run through it. He say, all right, cool, man, I got it. And then the next time he need help with something, I say, all right, well look, meet me in the library after school. So two thirty, two forty-five. Yeah, that's fine. I get in the library and they're like, oh, man, I just had to go home. I couldn't do it. Or I'm like, all right, look, so here's going to be your assignment for because I'll see him Tuesdays. And sometimes I come to the school Thursday if I commit to come there on a Thursday. So I said, all right, so uh, today's Tuesday. Your test is Friday. Come Thursday and show me what you got done Thursday. Man, I'll see him in the hallways before it's in the, end of the school. But like, I ain't get a chance to get to it. What were you doing this weekend? Oh, I was just hanging out with my friends. So you just ain't want to do it. No, I'll have it done by then. Okay, so look. 2.30, in the library. I better see it done because I can't help you. I can't help you if you don't want to help you. I, I'm not going to save you from you. I can't save you from you. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to do. So I can't save you from you. So get this done and we'll see. Man, we get there and I'm like, man, you know I live in Lake Nona. So it takes me 45 minutes to get here. So it's tolls, gas, and time to come here for you to tell me that you didn't get it done. But once again, that's a trait that was passed down from their parents. Mm. Yeah. So, so you know you just got to really understand because a lot of parents they don't come to the PTA meetings 
It's funny you say that. The, you know, not funny. It's true in my eyes that if you fail, because even when I was in the system, there are a lot of programs out there. <clears throat> but it seems like the programs either these are hard to get into, hard to find, a lot of paperwork, a lot of process. Seems it appears to be. And, you know, a lot of programs do exist because I know a lot of people back in the clinics, you know, when I was trying to help people and they wanted to get clean, you know, there's a lot of resources that you can reach for that can really help you, you know, instead of just playing victim card. If you really want help, you know, it just requires you really wanting help and doing some things, you know. So there are a lot of programs, you know, that pick up those slacks that do that. And then agreed. And some counties better than others, you know, that do that. And And obviously some schools better than others when you're got a thousand students paying you $60,000 a year to attend your, you know, community school, it's going to be well done, you know, and money's a huge aspect in education when I think money shouldn't even be a question in education. You know, it's not a question in our military, you know, there's an, a blank check to the Pentagon every year. So, but yet we say we do this for the freedom of our children. Okay. We have a blank check to fight who knows this year, you know what I mean? It'll be somebody else next year to protect our freedoms and our children, but yet to educate, cultivate, grow, enhance, and instill principles of truth and honor and love in our kids. Well, no, that's the bottom budget. That's what we'll cut first so we can build bigger guns and shit, you know? And I just, it's so hard for me. And so college leaks into that. A a point I want to go back to about the college is I know a lot of people are yelling at me about free college, et cetera. You know, I, I think we should. Because the kids got to learn. And I've just looked up. FSU made somewhere between 24 and $35 million last year from the football program. But, holy shit. Right? So don't tell me you ain't got the money to pay them. You know what I mean? That's not. That's just what we know. You know what I mean? And, and you said concessions and everything else that goes with this. So you got the money to pay them. And, and if college is free, most people would say, well, how do you run the college? And I'm going to, I got to bring up the point is, well, there was a time where colleges had professors that had to publish research, invent things, write books. They had to bring in money. Their departments had to do these things in research and they brought in grants and loans and studies. A lot of colleges still live on that in departments. Well, now you got to kind of earn your spot. You got to keep researching, keep reading, publish a book. You know, you have to, um, you know, add into the growth, right? Our colleges, our colleges should become more instead of hubs of just activism, which I think is great. They should be. It helps young minds reach out. But our government shouldn't be relied on as being the hub of technology creation. Right. Nor should privatized companies. I think colleges, where there's the youth, because that's who's thinking about the future. Mm-hmm. You know, they're thinking about their thirty years from now. A corporate and private and government companies building bombs and heat seeking God knows what. You know, they don't care. You know what I mean? So. I mean, I, just, I went on some fucking tangent, dude. And, I mean, to, to, I don't know. I just I think that colleges could find a way to earn the money. They could find a way to keep afloat. They're going to have to function like a business, you know. And I think you offer because the kids still got to study. They, they right. can't fail. They still got to pass classes. Right. And I think if an education is willing to be earned, it, it, you know, it should be earned. You, you know, take the last word, bro. We got to get out of here anyway, man. Well, we got to well, go look know, at those gyms across the uh, – Valencia's Valencia's number is the number one community college in the nation. Great place to start. They're right here in Orlando. Great place to and start. I'm telling you, Orlando is like the hub of education, and people don't even know it. They're sleeping on it. 
My favorite uh, professor, Dr. George Brooks. He is from Valencia. Stop playing. You're not talking. We can go visit Dr. George Brooks because he still remember me. Right, he's I, one of the first mentors of my life. Really? He was sat in the very chair that you're in Stop on this it. podcast and when? talked about the medieval beer that he brews. And oh, my goodness. Dude, we talked about the fall of Rome. When you want to go see him? You want to go see him? Dude, I love that guy. Hey, that's, that's my dude. No, uh, small fucking look, world. Listen, man. Dr. George Brooks is the one when I really started focusing on my spiritual growth. Really? Ask him. Dude, that's a fucking trip. Because he was that for me. You see me get all verklempt a little bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, here, look, if you don't believe me, man, I'll put it on. See, I'm a, I'm a little little verklempt because, you know, he was influential in my life. Back when I was in Valencia, I was a dope boy. I was selling dope. I was robbing dope boys. You know, I didn't give a shit. And But I always stayed in school because no matter how wild my life got that weekend or that week, I had school. You know, and his classes on humanity, he teaches humanities, religion, medieval humanities. I mean, it would just open me up and it really opened me up, man. And he's been close to me, you know, been close in my heart ever since I haven't talked to him in a long time. And since our last show, you know, we did our last show last year, maybe a couple months ago. He's still at Valencia East Campus, right? Yeah, he studied East Campus 10 year. He was under Dr. Sutton or David Sutton. We should go see him. Yeah, I mean, dude, he's he's supposed to come back on the podcast, actually. We were trading back and forth, man. I mean, so, yeah, I got a two-year from Valencia, you know, so that's where I started. <laughs> it's a better place to start after um, when I started back at counseling. You know, that's where that's where you go. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. Valencia's all right. We can go today. What time is it? Since well, we got to go look at these gyms, bro. That's fine. We can go do both. All right. What time is it? Uh, 2.25? Yeah, we've been kicking an hour and 50. Man, any okay. shout-outs you want to give to somebody, bro? Let's get the fuck oh, out of here. Oh, man, bro. uh... Shout out to uh, to Orange County Public School Board member Nancy Robinson. She's been a great support with me as far as making sure I get everything done that I need done. Uh, she's supporting me 100% on teacher support. Uh, Dr. Scott Fritz, another guy, phenomenal chief uh, chief academic officer for Orange County Public Schools. If y'all get a chance, please look them up. Both of them are phenomenal. They're really, they're really out to try to make sure that we help support our teachers, and they really are in it for the kids. So, you know, a lot of events that Evans had, Nancy Robinson has been at almost every one. And Dr. Fritz, he gets it. Like, he understands it. He's passionate about it. So, he's trying to make differences in Orlando, too. So, Scott, shout out to those two. And then Miss Bond. Oh, my goodness. Miss Bond, um, I'm going to get you. You already had me crying. Like, she had me crying like three times in one week Ooh. or two weeks. For like, you? Yeah, within that's 14. Rare. Man, that's tough. Yeah. Um, um, And, uh, you know, I love the passion. So, um, and then obviously, uh, my boy Jarvis Willer, community schools director at Evans High School, shows the kids a lot of love, got a lot done. Um, a lot of love to the hub for uh, for Evans High School. They do amazing things. Once again, City Year does amazing things. Um, man, it's too many. If I forgot you, please forgive me. But, you know, it's so many. And I'll add another hour and a half to this podcast <laughs> just talking about y'all. But, yeah, but, uh, you know, just shout out to those, uh, to all of them because, man, they have been phenomenal. Oh, Miss Sharp um, has, has been another one. Once again, Miss Fields, Teacher of the Year. I'm going to stop because I'm going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out to those, man, that do it, man. And, I, you know, I tell you, I'm going to give you a shout out. To you, myself, so a shout-out to Mike the Messenger, man, for being in the schools and, and talking to those kids, man. And, and those conversations can change lives, man. It, it really does. So shout-out to you for picking up the slack there and, and spreading that knowledge and helping and talking here again. I mean, we're, we're, we, we hang out, so we talk all the time but for, for sharing it here. But uh, And I'm going to give the shout-out to be on the lookout for the B. Berry podcast uh, coming very soon. Uh, we got two in the tank. 
uh, three or four more to, to get ready, and then you will see the B-Berry podcast hitting iTunes and uh, everywhere else, man. You, you've done some killer shows lately, so I, I, I think it's going to be cool, man, when you finally drop B-Berry. It's, it's going to be good, man. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I dig it. So if you're watching live, man, I appreciate you tuning in. Share it, like us, review us, love you, uh, mean it. Uh, this podcast will probably drop tonight, tomorrow, or sometime. Tune in um, live tomorrow. Um, if you are in a relationship and you're not sure if it's a good one, if you're looking for a relationship, um, or if you're in a good relationship, I have a relationship expert, Leo Dianabal, who is way farther than that for me. Uh, he has been a mentor in my life, one of the most influential Someone who helped me create the transrational structure behavior theory, a.k.a. the now book Cognitive Rampage. He means a lot. He was was on the show many, many times back in 2013. But he, I love him. I love him to death. He comes on Saturday, and he has a method to finding the right one. So if you're dating or thinking about it, you can apply his method to your relationship and where you're at now or where you're going to be. But tune in that for Sunday. And I know I told you I had Renee, the um, marijuana goddess, coming on Wednesday. Uh, but they had to reschedule for Monday uh, at, I don't know, 1 or 2. So there's two podcasts coming off on Monday. Dr. Bobby Hoffman will be in studio, as I talked about in the beginning of this show, um, on Monday. Then right after that, we're interviewing uh, Renee. We're going to talk a lot about weed. Uh, and a lot about marijuana legalization. She took her, her company public and was very successful doing so. So a lot to learn there. Then Dr. Bobby Hoffman. Then Andrew Mariani's coming back up from Naples from TAP, Total Athletic Performance. He'll be back in the cave this week. A lot coming up. So, yeah. Love you guys, man. Uh, I think that's all I got to say. Hope you're liking the new studio. Hope you're digging... Uh, all the live shots. We'll be adding a third camera to this too, so you'll be able to join us in the whole studio. But uh, love you, brother Mike. Thanks again, man, for hanging out in the studio. It's my pleasure. I love you. Let's get the fuck out of here and go look at those gems, bro. Love y'all. Peace. Uh, it's always a good time talking to Big Mike the Messenger Williams. Uh, he's a, like a brother to me, man. I really, like I said, I've gone, uh, grown, grown really close to, uh, my boy the last couple months, but, um, uh, he's really out there fighting the fight, man. He's in the trenches, in the schools, talking to the kids, trying to, uh, change the world. And I think, uh, if we're really wanting to change things, it's got to start with changing the kids, man. Uh, as you could tell in the podcast, I'm a huge advocate of education and free education for the kids and, Give them a chance because I just think if we're going to change anything in the world, it, it has to start with them. You know, we, we can't give everybody a pill and expect something to change. And I'm sorry, but if I'm on the island, I'm giving all the antibiotics to the pill to the kid so he can survive it and actually cure it. You know, right now in schools and everywhere, everywhere else, we tend to hand everybody one or two antibiotics and nobody finishes the prescription, you know, so nobody ever really gets cured. We just put Band-Aids over things. But for me... The kids is what I'd give all the antibiotics to. I think we should put all the money and all the focus on the kids and, I mean, work from there. Cultivate it because I think that's how you change a society. But at least there's soldiers like Mike the Messenger Williams in there on the front lines talking to those kids, you know, holding the sword for those that can't hold it because uh, that's what we do. But you'll see Mike Moore. Again, his podcast, uh, The B. Berry Show, is coming out soon. Uh, we're putting together a couple from uh, a couple more. Then we'll be... Uh, 
putting him live uh, out in the airspace of podcast world. We are recording him live at the Cognitive Cave Studios. So uh, we got a couple other people we're producing some podcasts for too. So be on the lookout for those. Uh, I've covered the guests that are coming on. Uh, the rest of this month is fun. March is looking better. The book is also close. Oh, so close. Oh, so close. We're four weeks, three weeks out now. One week at a time. But, um, you know, I do want to rush the product. The product's got to be nice. It's got to be heartfelt and constructed right. So it takes some time. So thanks for being patient with me and the book, too. It's been a long time. But love you all. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope you're living your cognitive rampage. Take care.